In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who do people say that I am? They said in reply, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Four years ago, before Deacon Scott Cena was ordained a priest, the Arlington Catholic Herald described the then 40-year-old as wanting to change lives by drawing upon his own experience of doubt and apathy. Having been on both sides of the faith spectrum, he hoped would allow him to bring sympathy to those without faith and to quote, explain faith in a way that they can understand. I'm looking forward to people who genuinely challenge me, who have doubts, who were agnostic, and think that faith does not have anything to teach them. Hopefully, I'm able to open their eyes and give them a relationship with Christ. And I would say for the last four and a half years, that's what Father Sina has been doing. I don't want to describe it as a, as a completed project, as though it's something that he's done, because he's not done. But so far, so good. By my count, it's been 1,526 days since his ordination. And sometime in the last week, perhaps, he offered his 2,000th Holy Mass. I would estimate if it's nine Masses a week, he's up to 2,008. And if he's been averaging 40 confessions a week, and I'm pretty sure that some weeks it's been more, although Wednesday confessions increased the weekly average uh, over a year ago, he's probably heard a little under 9,000 confessions. He's offered marriage prep to many couples. He's baptized dozens of babies, dozens of funerals, have been under his care, and we do keep track of how many anointings have happened, and that's a few dozen a year. He's even done a few confirmations at the Easter Vigil. Who knows how many Sicilian dinners he's made for parishioners and auctioned off a few. Only God knows how many pounds he's lifted in his weightlifting gym in the garage which will be no great joy to move down Old Dominion Drive. (laughs) He's faithfully taught eighth grade CCD for several years. Communion services every Friday at Arley Burke or almost every Friday at Arley Burke in the Sylvestri. He's gone on youth group ski trips, paintball trips, He's even willing to accompany the youth to Bonica in the Dominican Republic in the heat of the summer and even go up Mount Washington in the winter. Our Lord told the apostles, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. 
And I say again, that's what he has been doing for the last four and a half years. Gave up his life, gave up his career, made us his family. But again, it's not a completed project because he's not done. And still needs our prayers to continue to persevere and to grow, not just maintain what he has. Our Lord continued to instruct the apostles. The gospel today ends at verse 35. I will not ascribe any nefarious explanation for why the lectionary stops at verse 35, but I will read to you verses 36, 37, and 38. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In over 20 years, I've seen the best and the worst when the clergy are afflicted. As a young priest, with the full support of the Bishop of Arlington and his chancery, I confronted a priest who was living a double life of an unnatural sort. And with the bishop and the chancellor and everyone involved, um, successfully forced that priest to make his choice between living a priestly life and living a sinful life. But by the same token, I've also seen firsthand those who represent the Christ and, and the church who are living a double life. And when that double life is presented, when evidence of it is presented to their superiors, nothing is done. It's only when the imminent threat of a lawsuit is issued that all of a sudden a flurry of activity unfolds, as well as all sorts of recriminations and punishments on those who were trying to bring the attention to trying to bring the, the problem to the attention of those who could do something about it all along. The church at her best and the church at her worst. Our Lord makes it very clear, not just once and not just twice, what happens to unfaithful shepherds. Millstone around a neck and plunged into a river is how uh, he wants us to imagine that unfolding. So it's difficult to imagine so many corrupt priests and bishops and cardinals having been so wicked from the beginning of their vocations. It stands to reason that a lot of them, and who knows how many, started with good intentions. But over the course of time, stopped doing what Father Sina continues to do, to pray, to read, to learn, to go to confession, to go to spiritual direction, to ponder the mysteries of the sacred liturgy, to teach, to be accountable, to hold others accountable. It's at times like this when Father Sina and I are most especially grateful 
that we're able to be in the Diocese of Arlington. That's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. It's bad insofar as it makes us complacent. Complacent about the small problems that really ought to be fixed. Complacent about the huge problems outside that demand to be addressed. And so it requires our being deliberately angry and urgent about the things that actually don't affect our, our immediate day-to-day apostolate. To bring, a pension, to, to bring attention to them, to do what we can to, to correct them and to correct those needing to be corrected. to remind them the judgment that awaits them. And to remind the faithful that Christ didn't entrust St. Peter with the ability to change the truth, but gave him the responsibility to continue to teach the truth. So we stand before our Lord and could very easily, as priests or bishops or even cardinals, say that things are so tough and we need your sympathy. Refrain from pouring your sympathy on priests who are asking for extra special attention at this time, let alone bishops and cardinals. They don't deserve your extra sympathy. It's people who have suffered at their hands or at the hands of others who deserve your sympathy. It's priests and bishops and cardinals that should be doing penance, whether it be private or public, it doesn't matter. Those whose sins are public should do penance publicly, without a doubt. No, it's those who are taught falsehoods that deserve your sympathy. It's those who are neglected who deserve your sympathy. It's those who have been harmed who deserve your sympathy. It's those who it's, whose attempts to... to bring problems to light and corrected and were ignored, they deserve your sympathy and your concern. But it can't remain there. It can't just simply remain a matter of trying to heal those who have been hurt because then it still, in the grand scheme of things, remains just about us. It's only when we look at the cross and we realize that, oh my goodness, in addition to all, the, all of our sins that our Lord knew and suffered for on the cross, he also suffered the indignity of knowing that priests and bishops and cardinals and popes would be doing terrible things, and he, 2,000 years ago, knew it and suffered it and bore, bore the weight of those sins on the cross. Sins that should never have happened, but did he suffered that much more because of it. Ultimately, it is the church, it's the body of Christ that's been harmed. It's Christ personally as well who has been harmed, who has been offended. Listen to him react to St. Peter. Peter doesn't want this suffering to happen, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter... (laughs) Peter wasn't even doing anything all that bad. It was, it was misguided sympathy that Peter was expressing. What happened when 
when the temple was turned into a marketplace, how our Lord turned cords into a whip and threw tables over and shouted at those who had turned his father's house into a marketplace. We cannot even begin to imagine what our Lord suffered on the cross because of the sins of priests and the sins of their bishops. It is ultimately our Lord who deserves that much more love and sympathy and compassion. And it's only when we bring all of this to the cross that this becomes something of any benefit to anybody, let alone just simply awful and painful and harmful. And so we do give thanks for, for vocations that start well. And we pray for Father Sina, not just for what he has done, but we pray that he continue to grow as a priest. And hopefully, like Father Frank Avila, die with his boots on. But not yet. Long time to come. It's a time when we can renew our faith, renew our, the clarity of what we believe and why. With our catechists who today will make the profession of faith before us, We know that it's not enough simply just to say words that are true. We have to believe them. And we have to live them. And we have to teach them. And those who teach the faith have to be held accountable. So we beg our Lord to have mercy, to continue to have patience with us, and to heal his church. Soul of Christ. Sanctify us. Body of Christ, save us. Blood of Christ, inebriate us. Water from the side of Christ, wash us. Passion of Christ, strengthen us. O good Jesus, hear us. Within thy wounds, hide us. Suffer us not to be separated from thee. From the malicious enemy, defend us. In the hour of our deaths, Call us and bid us come unto thee, that with thy saints we may praise thee forever and ever. Amen.